Merry Christmas to you all. Merry Christmas. Hello, hello. Merry Christmas. My name's Adam, and I want to uh, take just a moment to talk about the New City uh, Catechism question today. Uh, I know if you, if you are like me, there may be some normal things in the rhythm of life that have fallen out this busy, busy holiday season. So I want to encourage you, if you've been doing this with your family and missed a few weeks, dive back in. Such a great way to teach your kids that you keep coming back to God's Word. The question we're starting today, question 16, what is sin? The answer, sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created, not being or doing what he requires in his law. Well, a Merry Christmas to you as Merry well. Merry Christmas. Wow, a little heavy, buddy. Well, helps explain Christmas, right? It does. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll go to Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2. Let's ask God to guide our time. Father God, what a day of celebration that you saw us in the midst of our sin, knowing from eternity past that we would need a Savior, willing from eternity past that your only begotten Son would come down, take on human flesh while retaining full deity, born in a stable cave, growing in wisdom and stature, never sinning, and then laying down his life as the payment of sin, for the wages of sin is death, and willingly dying for us, he who knew no sin, becoming sin for us, that through him, through faith in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you for this truth, the celebration of the Christmas narrative. And Father, as we tell it a little bit today, a little bit in 21st century language, a little bit going back 2,000 years, as Joseph is Luke, we ask, Father, that these immortal truths would encourage our hearts and draw us to you. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Well, perhaps like many of you, I love nativity scenes. And so I want to show you about seven nativity scenes and maybe make a comment or two. The first one is actually owned by the Weiss family. It comes from Israel. Why I like it is it depicts the place where Jesus is born as a cave. You may or may not know, but in 160 AD, Justin Martyr identified the place as a stable cave. And early historians have been telling us for centuries that it is in fact a cave in which Jesus, our Messiah, was born. The second one is an Eskimo set. I have no idea why I chose it. I just thought it was cute. You might, you might be alarmed by this, but a polar bear was actually there. It's in the Greek. It's obscured by our English translations. <laughs> Dr. Luke here. The third is Fisher Price. I put it up because I really think that with young children, if you give them a Joseph, a Mary, a baby Jesus, some magi, perhaps some shepherds, and they get to interact in a tactile way, they get to know the Christmas narrative. 
The fourth is precious moments. The older gals in our family all have a nativity scene out of precious moments. The fifth makes no sense whatsoever. Again, it's gnomes. <laughs> Travelocity is giving me a little break for advertising on their behalf. The sixth is peanuts, and I just appreciate the fact that Charles Schultz would often, in his cartoons, mention the Christ of Christmas. And I'll again conclude with a nativity scene from Israel. I wish you could see this live. This is the size of a grand piano. This is one piece of wood. There is no glue. There are no loose pieces. This is one piece of wood that was carved by master craftsmen. And it normally sells for $15,000. But today, through your broker, I can get it to you for $12.99.5, plus a 10% broker fee. This actually is a real reproduction of the nativity, and it is massive, and it is beautiful. Well, today, as you and I interact with the Christmas narrative, we're going to have four short videos. There's some of our kids in one way, and they're interacting with what we will interact with in a moment. So the first video is what our kids think of Mary. Um, Mary is Jesus' mom, and she would be in the nativity scene because, well, she's one of the important characters. That an angel named Gabriel came in and said that she would have a baby and named the baby Jesus and she would be the mother of him. Mary, Mary had Jesus. Uh, that she was Jesus' mother. She is Joseph's wife and she gave birth to Jesus. Um, I think she's just like a... She's just like a good mom that wants to take care of her son. Because Mary is the one that Jesus is born. Well, she rode a donkey to, um, to see the thing where they get Jesus, but all the rooms were full, so they found a stable where all the cows and donkeys and horses lived, and they um, found Jesus there. She gave birth to Jesus? Um, she had Jesus, and she was from Bethlehem. My name is Luke, and I'm sure you've heard of me, though that was never my intention. My intention was to set out for the humbling task to draw up an orderly account of all the things that have been fulfilled among us in Jesus. My goal has always been to make Jesus famous, to write about how he fulfilled God's story to Israel, God's story to the world. And that's why I wrote what you call the Gospel of Luke, a two-part series with the, the book of Acts. And in my first part, in the Gospel part, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach in the world. Now, you're probably asking, what makes me qualified for such a grand task? I mean, I'm asking. That's what I was asking the whole time. 
I wasn't one of the 12 disciples. I didn't walk with Jesus on earth. I'm not even Jewish. Oy vey. Oy vey. But I got to learn from those who are Jewish and did walk with Jesus while he was on earth. I interviewed countless people and investigated the accounts of eyewitnesses. I was discipled by Paul. I interviewed apostles. I even interviewed Mary, the mother of Jesus. And wow, was her experience amazing. She told me about that day many years ago when she was still a young woman. And the angel Gabriel appeared to her in Nazareth. She was frightened. And she said she was frightened by the greeting she heard. Greetings to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, maybe to you that doesn't sound like a very terrifying greeting. Highly favored. The Lord is with you. But you see, Mary knew something about Hebrew scriptures. She knew what happened to Isaac and Moses and Gideon when they heard, the Lord is with you. What happened? Something big and amazing. When, pe- when people heard words like this, it meant God was about to act in a mighty way. And Mary told me that she remembered acknowledging and understanding something of great importance was happening to her. And though she was troubled... She was comforted by the angel. The angel said, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will rule over his people Israel, and his kingdom will never end. Well, Mary said that she was blown away. Her mind was racing. I'm going to have a son? Amazing. This son is going to be the son of God? Radical. Righteous. Righteous. It's in the Greek. He is going to rule over his people Israel, and his kingdom will never end. It's what we've all been waiting for. Pondering all of this, she had no doubt it would be fulfilled, but she was confused. And you'll hear her confusion in the question she asked Gabriel. How will this be since I am a virgin? And he responded, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the Holy One born to you will be called the Son of God. Now, if I were in Mary's sandals, I would have asked the angel so many questions. What questions? Well, I would ask about the Holy Spirit, like the Spirit that's mentioned in the prophets, connected to a new creation, the day of the Lord's salvation for Israel. Is it finally time? Or maybe I'd ask about being overshadowed by the power of the Most High. Because it reminds me of when God's presence fell on the tabernacle, when God dwelled with his people, God with his people. Or I might ask about being called the Son of God. Like this baby wouldn't just be a mere human adopted by God, but truly and actually God's own son, like a God-man? I would have so many questions to bombard the angel with. I would have wanted to know every detail. But Mary had much greater faith than I. She reported to me simply saying, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. What faith? You know, when I interviewed Mary, I just assumed her great faith came from raising Jesus, hearing him preach and teach, seeing him die and rise from the dead. But when she shared this story with me, Still a young woman, I realized what great faith Mary always had in the God of Israel, even when she was a young woman. Well, I told you I set out and interviewed many eyewitnesses. I interviewed some of the kids here at Highland. And here's what they told me about Joseph. 
Joseph wasn't married to Mary. He married he married Mary because he is Jesus's dad. Joseph wasn't really um the father. He was a carpenter from. Yeah, um, I was just gonna say that. Yeah, Joseph was the uh was Mary's husband, and he helped Mary get to Jerusalem to give birth to Jesus. He was Jesus's dad because he's the reason why they're in Bethlehem. Uh, he is Mary's husband, and that's basically it. Well, I want to speak as though I am a young Joseph with plans to wed Mary. In my day, a wedding celebration was in two stages, often separated by one year. And actually, both stages make one legally married. The first is the ring and bling stage. It's the Kardashian stage. Car Kardashian stage? You are a Greek scholar. Mm, the Kardashian stage. And during the Kardashian stage, you would live with your own parents, but you would be legally wed. A year later, you would have the hoopa stage, and during that time, you would give your vows, and then you would move in together. So Mary and I were in the Caduceus stage, that ring and bling stage. And it was during that time that I was trying to build up enough income to pay the bride price. Now, I know what you're thinking. That's very old-fashioned. Well, it is 2,000 years ago, you understand. But it probably is not what you're thinking. The bride price is not a bribe to the dad. The bride price doesn't go to the dad. It was a first century Jewish social security system. Let's suppose for a moment that there are certain brides that are deemed three goat brides. Or maybe even a five goat bride. Mary is a 10-goat bride, but I'm a tecton. I'm a stone carpenter. I'm utterly broke. She isn't getting it. But if I could afford it, I would give her, let's say, two male goats and two female goats. They wouldn't go to her father or her mother. They would go to her. And through the years, those four goats would become 40 goats and 80 goats. And if something happened to me, there were no reputable jobs for young gals. She would have something to live on. So the bride price was a form of Jewish social security to secure that she had a future. Well, as I mentioned, we were in that Caduceus stage, that ring and bring bling stage. In fact, Matthew tells us in Matthew 1.18, it's before we had come together and unbeknownst to me, Mary is now pregnant. As far as I know, she's not pregnant. You know the story, I do not. Now understand my reputation. I may be a poor tecton, a poor stone carpenter, but I was called a sadiq. 
That's an unusual word, and it's an unusual title. Very few my age were ever called a Sadiq. Matthew 1.19 says, I was called a righteous one, a Sadiq. This means that I was known as a man of prayer. I was known as a man of God. I would shut down my stone carpentry shop on the Sabbath, the Sabbath. There was no side hustle where I would make money on the Sabbath. No, no, I would dedicate the day to love the Lord, to worship the Lord corporately. I kept a kosher kitchen. No bacon. No bacon? No bacon. Oh man, it is good to be Gentile. (laughs) No bacon. Sounds like a nightmare. I was also a student of Torah, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You guys can't even find the scrolls. I had them memorized from Genesis to the end of Deuteronomy. That's what a Sadiq would do, a righteous person, which I expect is true of many of you. What well, was during this Kardashian, Kardashian, Kardashian stage that Mary came to me? She said, "I have some good news and some bad news. I'd played the game before." So I said, "Give me the good news." She said, "An angel has visited me, and an angel has told me that the Messiah is coming, that he will be here in our generation." He is coming very soon. Praise God, hallelujah. This is what we have been waiting for. With such incredible good news, what could be difficult news? She bit her lower lip. She said, well, the difficult news is I am carrying the Messiah. The Holy Spirit has come upon me. The power of the Most High has overshadowed me. So the child to be born shall be called holy, the Son of God. Huh? I'm a virgin, she said, but I am bearing the Messiah. Now you understand this, but put yourself in my place. I did not understand this. I could not comprehend this. What did this mean? In my mind, it meant that she had been unfaithful. I loved her. I didn't want to embarrass her or shame her, but we were legally married in the Kardushian stage, that ring and bling, legally married, so I decided I would divorce her quietly so as not to shame her. But while I was processing all of this, an angel of the Lord came to me, and this is what the angel said, Matthew 1, 20 to 23. But as I considered these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to me in a dream. He said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel. It means God with us. Let's listen to what the kids have to say about the shepherds. Um, to protect the sheep and to, so they don't die or 
so nobody kills them or they don't kill themselves, so they don't eat poison ivy or anything. Um, that they come to see the Messiah to come and worship him. So they are there because they want to see Jesus when they're born. They take care of sheep. The shepherds take care of the sheep. Um, angels came to, came to them, they were scared, and they fell down. A bunch of angels visited the shepherds, and they went into Bethlehem to visit Jesus. Um, because angels came and they, like, alerted them that Jesus was uh, here. And they heard the song, because the angels sang a song, and then they went to see the king. It's Luke here again, and I told you I had the privilege of interviewing Mary, the mother of Jesus, and one of the details that she told me is right after her son was born, these shepherds showed up as if they knew all about it. Now Mary, she treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. Well, that's great for her. I needed much more than that. Don't forget, I have set out to write the task of eyewitnesses investigating everything from the beginning so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. But tracking down shepherds is not an easy task. I can't imagine. I mean, given their work, right? They move sheep from one side of the country to the other. They don't have any address listed that I could find. But I eventually tracked them down. And the story that they told me was just as amazing as Mary's. You see, the shepherds, they told me they were doing the whole shepherd thing. You know, keeping animals as company, camping outdoors, shepherd stuff. Camping. That sounds fun in this weather. Yeah, yeah. It's not as cold there, but yeah, it would not be something shepherds would do here. They told me about a night they would never forget. A night that stood out in their memory as if it were yesterday. They were in the land of Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, And you'll understand why they would never forget this night from what they told me next. In the darkness of night, with only the faint baa of a sheep nearby, suddenly the darkness tore open and the sky gave way and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. I asked them how long it took for their eyes to adjust and they couldn't remember that detail. First Mary encounters an angel, and now the shepherds, and they were afraid too. The way I penned it in the Gospel of Luke in Greek says, they feared a mega fear. But they said they too were comforted by the angel. The angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You see, this angel truly had a gospel, a royal good news announcement. And the angel explained, a savior this day is born and he is the Christ. Now, if it wasn't for Jesus, you English speakers wouldn't even use the word Christ. It's a Greek title. In Hebrew, it is Messiah and it means anointed one. And this is important. This is huge. The angel announced the long-awaited anointed king, the Christ. He had been born. You see, in the Hebrew scriptures, many things were anointed. They would take and smear oil on priests and clothing, even forks and lampstands. And this was to show that they were special, set apart by God for a special purpose. 
But over time, this anointing process became solely connected with kings. Kings became anointed ones. They became messiahs. King David even called himself a messiah. A messiah, not the messiah. That is exactly right, because in the hope of the prophets, in the writing of the prophets, they were looking forward to an ultimate Messiah, an ultimate anointed one who would be anointed by God's Spirit to shepherd God's people, Israel. Just think about how the prophet uh, Isaiah wrote about it. He said, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. What the angels told the shepherds that night truly was a good news that would bring great joy for all people. But the shepherds didn't end their story there. As of seeing an angel and the glory of the Lord showering down around them wasn't enough. They said the rest of the heavens opened up. The heavenly host of angels appeared and they were praising God saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. The shepherds knew they just had to go see what they had been told about. They needed to hurry to Bethlehem to see this sign that was told to them. And when they got there, there he was. The sign given by the angels and it confirmed everything that they said. This Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the long-awaited king, lying in a manger of all places, the savior of the world. Well, the shepherds said they couldn't keep it in. They told everyone in Bethlehem about this good news as they returned to their fields, glorifying God and praising him for all that they had heard and seen. Well, we have one more character to tell you about, and I didn't hear a whole lot about him in my investigation, but as I interviewed some of the kids here at Highland, I learned much, much more about this last character in the nativity scene. So yeah, I'm just going to ask you questions about Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, and the donkey. Oh, am I the donkey? Um, he's like carrying things around on his back, um, so they don't need to carry it around. Like because um, that's the donkey Mary and Joseph rode on to get to Bethlehem. Why is there a donkey? He sat down in the stable with all the other animals. I know that the donkey in the nativity scene carried Jesus' mother to the barn on top of the hill. Isn't that like how they got the Mary wrote on it? Well, we actually don't know the question because it's not in the Bible. So we just think that's probably one of the ways that they got there. Because it helps Mary get around and find a home to have a baby. Um, because the donkey wanted to see the baby. Well, we don't know for sure if this happened, but a lot of stories or rumors have it where Mary rode a donkey to Bethlehem. Well, perhaps like many of you, through the years I have read my children and now grandchildren a number of the kid books. And there's Joseph and Mary and the baby. Later on are the Magi and there's the shepherds. And that donkey always shows up. And my kids and my grandkids have heard over and over again, the Bible mentions nothing 
about the donkey. Well, let me set the scene again, taking the form of Joseph. Mary and I have been visited by the angels. We now understand that Mary, a virgin, is pregnant with the Messiah, the anointed one, the long-awaited Christ. But then there is bad news throughout the land. Israel is under the thumb of Rome. Rome has been controlling us for many, many years. And there's no tax that Rome doesn't like. And Rome has issued a decree for accounting of Jews. What utter nonsense. They could care less how many Jews there are. They don't want our number. They want us to return to the city of our birth where there are records of us and therefore they can tax us yet again. At the time, Mary and I were living up north. We were living in Nazareth, but I was born down south in Bethlehem. Depending on the route, it could be 70, 80, 90 miles, a long, long walk. And I can tell you that the Bible says nothing about a donkey. Oh, it's very kind that the publishers and authors today, 2,000 years later, gift Mary a donkey. But not only is it not mentioned in the Bible... But the Bible tangentially teaches us that the donkey probably could not have existed. You remember when Jesus was born. As a Jewish male, he would be taken on the eighth day to the temple to be circumcised. In addition to that, they would give an offering based upon their income as a thank or praise offering to God for the birth of this child. In fact, you wrote all about it in Luke 2, 22 to 24. Why don't you go ahead and cite it from memory? 22, 24. Uh, th those are the chapters and verses you all added to the scrolls. I better let you take this one. Yeah, that was clever. Luke 2, 22 to 24. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses... They brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem, because Bethlehem is five miles from Jerusalem, to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb should be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. And if you would go back to the Levitical laws, it offers a number of different sacrifices depending upon one's income level. Well, this is what they gave, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And a partridge in a pear tree? And a partridge I, in a pear tree. I wanted to add tree. that part, but left it out. This offering is the offering of the exceptionally poor. If they had had a donkey, the offering would have been much higher. Remember, these are male and female sadiq, righteous individuals. There's no way they would have given less than what is required in the law. And the fact that they gave the poorest of the poor offering tells us that they have no animals of their own, certainly not a donkey. So imagine if you were me, your wife, heavy laden, has walked 70, 80, 90 miles. She's eight and a half months pregnant. She's ready to burst. And you arrive in Bethlehem. 
Now, that's the city of my birth. I know something about it. Normally, it's a small hamlet, three, maybe 400 people at most. But because of the census, it has grown. It has exploded. We walked longer and further than most, so people beat us there. We walked slower than many, so people beat us there. In such a small hamlet, there would only be one inn. And we went to the inn, and it was full. It was over full. But thankfully, out of mercy, out of grace, they allowed us to go behind to a stable cave where they would keep animals and straw and the like. And you can imagine my grief. A husband of a virgin wife who's about to give birth to a child. And the best that I can offer is a stable cave, barely out of the elements at all. You can imagine my heart breaking. And then there's Jesus. He's the king. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one, the Christ. And he is being born in a stable cave, lying in a manger. That is something made out of stone, chiseled out. Perhaps I had made it years earlier in my shop, wrapped in strips of linen, lying in a manger. And then I remember this king, is not to be in a palace because he didn't just come for the rich, the powerful, the famous. He came for the weak, the meek, those of low estate. He came for us all. Even bacon-eating Gentiles. Praise God. (laughs) Well, you saw and heard about a lot of different nativity scenes and the figures in the nativity scenes today. They all feature Joseph and Mary, cattle and animals, that donkey, an angel. But most importantly, they have Jesus, the baby lying at the center in the manger. And I, Luke, I wish I could have interviewed every one of those characters in these nativity scenes. And believe me, I tried. I looked up the angel in the phone book, unlisted. The cattle, talked to them, they didn't want to go on record. Poor Joseph it sadly passed away by the time I wrote my account. What? Sorry. This is a real hard way to find out. Sorry to break it to you. But yes, Joseph died too young. And Jesus had ascended to the right hand of the throne of God. And although I wasn't able to interview everyone in the nativity scene, I was able to speak to many eyewitnesses. And a theme emerged from all that Jesus began to do and teach in the world. He said, I must proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God because that is why I was sent. He said, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. His disciples told me that he went from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God. And you know, from everyone that I interviewed, it was unanimous. The theme of Jesus' earthly ministry was the reign of God coming, and he is the king. He even called the gospel the gospel of the kingdom. You remember what I said, Gabriel told Mary that his kingdom would never end. The angels heard from or told the shepherds that this anointed king, this Christ, was born. The chief priests had told Herod that this great ruler would come out of the city of Bethlehem. When I interviewed Zechariah, he prophesied that Jesus had come to redeem Israel and that he was going to be raised up a royal horn of salvation for them. And Simeon, An old man who was waiting at the temple for the consolation of Israel, he told me he knew his wait had not been in vain when he held the baby Jesus in his arms. And this is what he's saying. Sovereign Lord, 
As you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation for the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus was what everyone had been waiting for. This baby was Israel's hope. This child was the promise made to Abraham. This boy was the seed of the woman spoken about in Genesis 3 when God first announced the gospel. And you can see why early in my investigation I started to realize all the things that have been fulfilled among us in Jesus. This little baby depicted in these many nativity scenes is the savior of the world. He's the king we've all been waiting for. And though he had been prophesied about hundreds and hundreds of times, he turned to be, out to be a very unexpected king. I mean, born in a manger of all places, announced to shepherds. He went through the countryside proclaiming this kingdom of God, but not with an army, but by healing the sick and casting out demons. He didn't demand slaves or service. Rather, he served everyone, especially those who had nothing to give in return. He said that the blessing of his kingdom is for the poor. For those who are hated and insulted, who hunger and weep. He said that the law of his reign is love. Love your enemies. Love your neighbor. Love God above all else. He forgave sin. He proclaimed truth. He even raised the dead. You don't see that every day. You don't. It's a rare miracle. And when it came time for him to ride into Jerusalem to be enthroned as the king... It too happened in a very unexpected way. He was indeed lifted up and exalted, but it was on a cross. They called him the king of the Jews, but it was the charge above his head. They put a crown on him, but it was a crown of thorns. And as that blood ran down his face, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. He went to the cross, an innocent man, never once sinning in full obedience to God, even unto death. The perfect man and God with us, breathing his last to save the world. And yet, if I may make a shameless plug for my writing, the Gospel of Luke, go out and buy it, go out and read it. This is not the end of my account. The eyewitnesses were unanimous. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. God raised him from the grave and proved to everyone publicly that Jesus is who he claimed to be. He accomplished what he set out to accomplish. This is the Christ, the anointed king, and this is good news because he's a really good king. Dear friends, I wrote my account, the Gospel of Luke, so that you may know with certainty the things you have been taught, that you would know that Jesus is the Son of God, born in Bethlehem. He lived a sinless life. He died a criminal's death as our substitute, handed over to the penalty of sin, which is death, that we might by faith receive a kingdom and live under the blessing of his reign. Friends, this is the gospel of the kingdom, and God has commanded everyone, everywhere, to believe this good news by turning to him in repentance and receiving the Lord Jesus, the Christ, by faith as your king. I, Luke, guarantee you can trust the things you have been taught and know the things that have been fulfilled among us in Jesus. He is the Christ, the king, the savior of the world. Merry Christmas, everyone. Let me pray. Father in heaven, 
You are so good, and you have given us the greatest gift we could ever imagine at Christmas. We celebrate him today, our Savior, Jesus. We thank you that he came for the lost. He came for those who are sinners. He came for the broken and the heavy-hearted. And Father, may we all recognize our poverty and our need that we might receive him with joy and celebration this Christmas season, whether it's the first time or many times to come to Jesus, our Lord. Father, thank you for this good news that was announced to Mary, to shepherds, and to many others. We thank you that we have received this good news, and we have the privilege of sharing it with others. God, this is the greatest Christmas present we could ever receive, so thank you. We love you. You are amazing, and we worship you today. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, our King, the Messiah, we pray. Amen.